Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Sundays. We, we love Sundays and being able to gather together. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us here in the busyness of summer. And Father, we are thankful now to come to the, the main part, the opening of your word and looking to it. God, we, we know that your word is the truth. And so we ask now, God, that you would give us faith, that we would believe it that we would be responding to what we hear and see in your word. Father, work in our hearts and minds that we would be believers of you. God, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there. I believe it's page 932 or 933, something like that. Mark chapter 11, we're going to finish up the chapter. We've been in, in Mark for quite some time, and we've been in chapter 11 of Mark for, for, for quite a while. All of these passages go together. We know that Jesus is in the Passion Week, the final week of his life. It is now in our passage today, Wednesday of that Passion Week, and you know he is going to be crucified on Friday. So we are now at Wednesday, and, and all of this goes together. We are nearing the very end of Jesus' life we have now the authority of Jesus challenged. I think you know that it is a bad move to challenge authority. The authorities are the ones who have the authority, and there really is no going against it. There was a movement a couple years ago by Trip Lee and some of the guys that he works with and the movement was real men bow down to authority. Real men bow down to authority, and I liked that. Authority is not meant to be challenged unless that authority becomes corrupt. But when we start talking about authority, then the question becomes, have you submitted yourself to authority? The other night, we got home late from some ball games or something like that, and it was already past bedtimes, and we're trying to get kids into their pajamas and get them in bed and... Everybody's running around trying to brush their teeth, and next thing I know, Liliana comes running in with about this many Oreos. And I said, where in the world did you, did you get those from? And she can't really answer that yet. She's only two. And so I'm thinking, who gave her some? I'm like, JJ, Eli, did, who gave her these Oreos? They're saying, not me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And I was thinking, who in the world thinks that they can go by themselves into the pantry at, at 10 o'clock at night and grab Oreos and start eating them? You cannot do this. Y'all don't have permission to do this. And that's the direction I thought I was going to go. Why are y'all doing this? You don't have the permission to do this. And it come to, came to be that it, nobody did give those to her. So I said, Liliana, wh where did you get these? And she does like she does. You know, it's awesome how a two-year-old can really talk and put you in their place without being able to talk. And so she gets me to follow her into the pantry. She's got a little chair that she's put in the pantry. She's climbed up on a chair. She's got like half a leg and an arm on the cabinet, and she reached the Oreos. And she pulled the whole thing down, and here she is ready to unload on some Oreos. I don't know if she understood, but I said to her, what makes you think that you've got the right or you have the say? It's your decision on going to get Oreos at this time of night. And she didn't answer. And it's really hard to take a handful of Oreos from a little kid. 
She's two years old. She doesn't have the she doesn't have the power to decide when she eats Oreos, especially if it's bedtime. Now, that's a little humorous little example, but in many ways, you and I are constantly pushing up against the authority in our lives. I want to ask you here at the beginning, what is the authority in your life? Do you have one? Or are you your own man, so to speak, and you don't answer to anybody? You know, a lot of times people work at a place where there's lots of structure and there's higher ups and, and you know who the boss is and you know who the boss of the boss is, and, you know, those sort of things. And so people understand authority really well. But then sometimes people work where they have their own business or they do their own work or they really don't have anybody over them. So they get to call their own shots and they're not, they're not used to having an authority over them. Well, our passage today, in the context of Jesus moving through the last week of his life and heading to the cross, coming right after he had cursed the fig tree, he had cleansed the temple, he had explained the cursing of the fig tree, now we have this issue of authority. And I hope here today you will be be open to asking and answering, what is the authority in your life? Read with me at Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven, or was it from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, and they saying, If we say from heaven, then he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Interesting exchange, right? Jesus, as I've said, had cursed the fig tree, cleansed the temple, explained the cursing of the fig tree, and now those that oppose him have approached him saying, who told you you could do this? Now, if you've been around church or Bible study long enough, you know that authority with Jesus has never, ever been in question. If you will, this is the very thing that had everybody taken back about Jesus. Turn over to chapter 1. Stay in Mark, and I want you to recall, I know it's been a month since we've been in chapter 1, but look at chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. Turn over there. And I remember saying this so many times in the beginning of Mark, but I want you to see this. Chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. Now look at verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching. 
For he taught them as one who had authority. Does everybody see that? He taught as somebody who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus' teaching was an authoritative teaching. It was unlike any teaching that anybody's ever seen before. The teaching of Jesus was like this. Here's what I say. Here's what I say. Truly, I tell you. You, you. Think about how many times in the Gospels you have Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say unto thee. Right? Truly, truly, I say unto you. In other words, he's not going, well, the Bible says. In other words, he's not going, well, my favorite preacher says. He's not saying, mama always taught me. He's saying, here's what I'm saying. Jesus' teaching was good because it was connected to God, but it was good because he is God, and it brought the authority of God with it. This is why I challenge you all to continue being in church and in Bible study because when you are hearing the Word of God, you are hearing the Word of God. God is speaking to you from this book. These days, preachers have to look to this book or to some other book to try to give a message. And the message is only as good as it is faithful to the Word of God. Jesus did not have to do that. Now, he was faithful to the Old Testament word of God, but when Jesus spoke, it was the authoritative word of God. And that's the observation that you see in the Gospels. He goes into the synagogue, he's teaching people, and everybody is astonished. Other people would quote this philosopher, or quote this rabbi, or quote this, or, or talk about that. Not Jesus. Jesus would say, here's what I say. Here's what I tell you. Jesus had authority. Turn over to chapter 4. This is where Jesus calms the storm. Look at verse 38. Chapter 4, verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We've never seen anybody like this. The greatest of spiritual leaders, the greatest of teachers, don't do anything of this level, of this magnitude. He teaches with authority. He speaks to creation and nature, and it obeys. Who is this guy? He is God. He is the God-man. He is God in the flesh, and he possesses all authority. Do you remember earlier in Mark chapter 11 with the triumphal entry? Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey? Do you remember how that scene unfolded where Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, and he told them every single thing that was going to happen along the way? He said, go in there, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find somebody with a donkey, and they're going to ask you, who, why are you taking the donkey? They're going to say, the Lord needs a donkey. You remember all of that? And it happened just like that. You know why? Because he's God, and he has authority. And he can tell people that he's not even going to see to let the donkey go, let my people have the donkey, because he said so. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross and they buried him and he rose from the grave? And he did that for us because of our sins to save us from our sins. He did that because that's the only hope for all of the world to get right with God is to be forgiven of their sins. Do you remember when he did that? You remember when he rose from the grave and he went and revealed himself to many people and he met them in the upper room and then there were some 500 that saw him and there were just a few days 
But then he gathered there on the mountain. At the very end, he ascended up into heaven. Do you remember that? That's how Jesus left. Do you remember what his final words were? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you remember that? That's a big statement, is it not? Y'all, there is not a thing anywhere. There's not a person. There's not an animal. There's not a planet or a star. There is nothing outside of the authority of Jesus. He is God. And he came to us that he could die for us, that we would know him. And everything that he was doing in his life, the cursing of the fig tree, was because he was teaching a lesson to religious spiritual people that weren't true and pure. They weren't bearing fruit. They were like a tree that looked healthy that didn't bear fruit. He came and he cleansed the temple because the people were so busy with their godly lives, but they weren't genuine and sincere. They weren't by faith. It wasn't real worship. And he cleansed the temple and he said, not in my house. This house is for worship to my Father. And if you're going to try to do other things here that aren't worship to my Father in heaven, then get out of here. Jesus has the authority to say whatever he says. He has the authority to do whatever he does. So our passage picks up today with him being now back in Jerusalem. And as he's walking in the temple, I'm at Mark eleven twenty seven. 27, a whole herd of people. To kind of show how this has escalated, to kind of show that it's getting very intense and we are moving toward Jesus' uh, arrest. There are chief priests, religious leaders. There are scribes, religious leaders who do the writing. And there are elders. People in charge of the whole religion. They all come to him. They approach him. And they ask this question, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Now when it says these things, we know what he's talking about. They're talking about him going into the temple and disrupting everything. The temple is a Jewish center for worship. Jesus, if he's a man, does not have the right to go in there and make any say. And so they're asking, who told you you could do this? It'd be similar to us if you were to pick another religious institution, maybe a different church with a different denomination, or maybe one of these um, cults around here that don't really believe the Bible, or maybe just a religion in Louisville that's nothing like Christianity. It'd be similar to you going in here this week, maybe find you a place, because there are some all over Louisville, find you a place and go in there, and before long, just start messing everything up and telling people to get out of here and you don't like this and tearing up their books and throwing stuff around and flipping tables over. It'd be similar to you doing that and all of a sudden, the leader's snatching you up and going, man, what are you doing? Who do you think you are coming in here like this? What, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? That's the setting. 
The leaders of the Jews, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, many of them have found Jesus again. And they say, hey, who do you think you are? Who gave you the authority to do this? Why are you doing these things? Who told you that you could do this? Now, what's really cool about this passage is you and I are left trying to figure out, were they really curious? What's motivating him? Or did they know? And so they're just trying to get him. The Bible has been telling us now through the Gospels that they were plotting to kill him. They wanted to. Look back at, um, <clears throat> look back at uh, verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. You see that? They feared him. They feared him. They wanted to destroy him. They were wanting to seek a way to destroy him. And it was the same group of people, minus the elders. It was the chief priests and the scribes. But we're left wondering why. What is it? Is it truly a curiosity? Man, what's motivating you? Probably not. Or was it, we don't like this guy. Let's go question him and see if we can start moving in toward getting rid of him and destroying him. So they asked that question, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, what is the authority on which Jesus acts? Well, Jesus testifies to it time and time again. His Father in heaven, God Almighty. We have countless, countless passages of Jesus saying, I came to do what my Father sent me to do. I showed you a couple weeks ago, John 13, when Jesus said, my time has now come. Time for me to depart out of this world and go back to my Father. There are many passages where Jesus says, I don't act of my own accord. I only do what my Father has sent me to do. Jesus is doing what God wants him to do. That's his authority. Jesus is the authority of God, and Jesus is operating under the authority of God. And when Jesus speaks, it is the authority of God, and everybody knows that. These guys are struggling with it, and that's their question. And you wonder if Jesus is going to give them an answer. But in verse 29, we see, maybe not. Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me. We're all like this, aren't we? We love to answer a question with a question, don't we? If we don't want to answer somebody, we say, well, then let me ask you a question, right? And then, and then next thing you know, you're in this conversation of, well, if you're not going to tell me, then I'm not going to tell you. And that's what Jesus does here, right? Let me ask you a question. And Jesus comes up with an outstanding question. Now, you should know that you're not going to beat Jesus in a debate. You're not going to beat him in an argument. You know, there are some people that like to argue, right? There's some people just like to argue. Doesn't matter what you bring up, you're going to be arguing with them over and over and over again. You're going to go back and forth. And there's some people who just won't let it go. But then there's some people who can come up with a question that'll really get you, and they'll get you stumped, and you think, well, just forget it. And that's what Jesus does here. Jesus has just cleansed the temple. Now, from a Jewish perspective, this is a big, ugly scene. He's just cleansed the temple, he's disrupted their whole system of religion. 
And now they've come to question him. In their mind, this is a way of them getting at him, and they're going to be able to get him or arrest him or take him or ultimately destroy him like verse 18 says. That's what they're thinking. And with really just one question, Jesus squashes all that altogether. He says, let me ask you a question. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And it sounds like Jesus was okay to let them know if they would answer. Verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? This is a good question. Now, you know what the baptism of John is, right? John the Baptist, remember that early in the Gospels. John came before Jesus. He came to set the tone. John came very clearly with a very simple purpose to point people to Jesus. To have encountered John the Baptist was to have been pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist came saying, I'm not the Savior. The Savior's coming. John the Baptist came saying, there's somebody coming after me that's greater than me. John the Baptist came saying, people get ready, Jesus is coming. People get ready, Jesus is coming. And I want you all to know, folks, that we're not to hurry past John the Baptist. You need to get ready. Jesus is coming. Do you remember our call to worship in Psalm 2? Do you remember when Psalm 2 said that it is a fearful thing to be dealt with by God? Do you remember when Psalm 2, what we read, said, Be warned, O kings and wise men, be warned. And then it said at the very last statement of Psalm 2, Blessed is everybody who takes refuge in God. John the Baptist came warning people. If you're here today and you're not safe in God, what are you doing with your life? If you're here today and you're not forgiven of your sins, at peace with God in your conscience, what are you doing with your life? What are you waiting on? What are you thinking? What are you trusting in? What are you resting in? How do you sleep at night? Perhaps you're not sleeping at night. John the Baptist came being sent by God as the final prophet, if you will, the fulfillment of Elijah to let everybody know it is time for the Savior to arrive. He is coming. Repent of your sins for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if people listened to John's message, they would come and John would baptize them with the baptism of repentance. That happened. And so Jesus has brought that up. They knew John. John was such a a compelling and polarizing figure that everybody was familiar with John the Baptist. I want to remind you, remember, he had come out of the wilderness. Nobody had seen him. And he had come out of the wilderness... And when he came out of the wilderness, he was crazy. He said he had wild hair and big beard, and he wore uh, clothes of camel skin. And it said that he ate locusts and honey. He was a weird guy. But he came with one purpose, to point people to Jesus. But everybody remembered him. And people wondered, like, what is his baptism exactly? It wasn't necessarily a Jewish baptism. It wasn't necessarily a, a church baptism. But it was a repentant of sin baptism. People asked questions about that. And that's what Jesus has brought up. 
So he goes to the Jewish leaders and replies with a question. He says, well, let me ask you a question. You answer me, and I'll tell you where my authority, where my authority comes from. The baptism of John, y'all, y'all know about it, right? Yeah, 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 we know about it. He says, was it from heaven or was it from man? And when he says from heaven, he's really just meaning a, a respectful way to say from God. I know today we use the word God very loosely, unfortunately, and we should not. It is sin. It is breaking the third commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. But, but people who really know the Lord, especially in Jewish culture, were very careful and cautious to not use God's name wrongly. And so, so often they would say, from heaven, or they would say, the kingdom of heaven. In the Gospel of Matthew, you don't have kingdom of God. You have kingdom of heaven, simply as a way (coughs) of meaning the same thing in place of the kingdom of God. Here today, as a little side note, you ought to be very cautious and careful in how you use God. We ought to never say GD. We ought to never say uh, OMG with a flippant heart. We ought to never say these things where we are not reverent, we are not respectful, we are not eyes focused on God as our Father in heaven. And so here he means from God, but he says from heaven. He means from God or from man. That's a good question. When John was baptizing, where did that come from? What was it for? Was it from God or was it from man? And he wants them to answer that. Verse 31 When they discussed it with one another. Saying, if we say from heaven, or in other words, from God, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Great point, right? Great point. And this is kind of a little side note that I want to to say to you guys. Is this the word of God? Yep. Why aren't you believing it? Why aren't you following it? Why aren't you hungry for it? We got somebody in our church that hasn't been here now in like six weeks. I sent them a message this week. I said, I bet you're hungry. I bet you are starving. Why have you quit eating? And they were thinking, what the heck are you talking about? I said, I'm not talking about real food. I'm talking about spiritual food. Why'd you give up on it? How are you surviving without it? I skip one meal. If I try to go a day without lunch, because sometimes I try to, if I try to go a day without lunch, by dinner time, I'm like Liliana, Oreos, 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 Oreos. I get so hungry come evening time if I've skipped lunch. I've got to eat. And folks, your soul is the same way. And I know so many people who are like, man, life just, I just can't catch a break, and, and God seems so far from me, and I just feel like I'm not doing all that well. And I'm thinking, have you been eating? Have you been hungering for the word of God? Do you remember Jesus' words that man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Have you set your appetite for your soul around the truth of the word of God? These guys were right. If we say the baptism of John is from God, then he's going to say to us, well, why didn't we believe it? Why didn't we get baptized too then? So we can't say that. And they said, but if we say that it's from man, then everybody that believed it is going to be mad at us. In other words, Jesus had asked them a question that has them stuck. And so, look, they didn't answer. They said to Jesus in verse 33, we do not know. Y'all, I want to talk to you here for a second. Very, 
very straightforward and bluntly. This is not how you deal with truth and authority. You don't take in truth, deliberate over it, and then come back and say, not sure. When you do that, you are making yourself the truth, the decider over and above the truth. Doesn't it kill you like it kills me when you hear about a a court case that goes public and the person is deciding on whether they're going to admit to being guilty or not depending on what the punishment would be? If y'all will make the punishment a little bit less, something that I can bear and deal with, then then I'll plead guilty. But if it's going to be one of these harsh big ones, then no, I'm going to keep saying I didn't do it. And you're asking yourself, well, what's the truth? What's the truth here? These guys have been met with a question from the one who has authority of heaven and of all of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, and they know the answer. But they're not thinking about doing what is right or doing what is proper or doing what is true or doing what they should do or doing what is pleasing to God or doing what is honoring to God or doing what is obedient to God. That's not on their radar. They're only concerned about doing that's going to give them the best situation in life. Who cares what the answer is that they really believe? If they really believe that it was from God and they believed that, and they wanted to submit to authority, they should have come back broken and repentant with sadness, just like we sang in our song, Father, have mercy upon me. They should have come back and they said, God, forgive us of our sins. Jesus, we are wrong. Thank you for cleansing the temple. We need to wake up from our sleep. We are fruitless people. We are full of religion. We are prideful. Our hearts are judgmental. There are issues with us, and we need to bow ourselves before God. And we need the baptism of John, just like every else we must repent but that wasn't even there they didn't even want to say that then they thought well if we say it's from man then we'll have everybody mad at us they weren't committed to the truth enough either to be okay with everybody being upset with them listen folks they weren't able to deal with the truth Because they were so centered on what that would mean for them. They weren't able to be truthful because they were so self-focused they couldn't get past what that would mean for them. Folks, if that's you, you've not come to God yet. You may know what the truth says, but you've not humbled yourself to the point of being willing to accept Whatever the consequences are. And until you come to God humble and broken, surrendering all, you've not come to God. You may be involved in church. You may be much more familiar with the Bible than you were a week ago, month ago, year ago. But you don't know the Lord yet. We don't take his truth and say... You know, Jesus does say some good things, and it's kind of helping my family and all of that, but I'm not sure. If I go this direction, then I may lose some friends. If I go this direction, then, you know, I may not be able to indulge myself as much as I do. I'm not really sure. I'm just going to say I don't know. 
when all of us know that answer isn't real. That answer's not true. That answer is an answer that you're trying to supply, but you know doesn't work. I know I read from you, J.C. Ryle, a lot, but listen to this. It is a melancholy fact that dishonesty like this is far from being uncommon among non-Christian people. There are thousands who evade appeals to their conscience by answers which are not true. When pressed to attend to their souls, they say things which they know are not correct. They love the world in their own way, and like our Lord's enemies, are determined not to give them up, but like them also are ashamed to say the truth. And so they answer exhortations to repentance and decision by false excuses. Listen to this. One man pretends, quote, that he cannot understand the doctrines of the gospel. How many times do we hear that, right? It's just... It's too complicated for me and I don't understand it. J.C. Ryle says, no, that's not right. Another assures us that he's really trying to serve God, but he makes no progress. A third person declares that he has every wish to serve Christ, but he doesn't have the time to. All these are often nothing better than miserable equivocations. As a general rule, they are as worthless as the chief priest's answer, we cannot tell. He goes on to say, the ruin of thousands is simply this, that they deal dishonestly with their own souls. How accurate is that? We're okay to make an excuse that we know is not true. And if somebody was to push you on it, which I know when we push people, it gets awkward and uncomfortable, and so we often don't. But when we say, I don't understand, that's an excuse that we're hoping works and it works on our conscience, but it's not real. It is not hard to understand that God loves you so much that Jesus died so that God would forgive you. As much as we have sinned in our lives, we know what forgiveness looks like. Everybody in the room has forgiven somebody before, and everybody in the room has been forgiven by somebody before. before. We know what forgiveness is. The Bible's message is not complicated. God loves to forgive people. And if you will come to him humbly and say, God, I messed up. I have sinned. I am wrong. Will you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died so you can. If you do, you will be forgiven by God. That's not complicated, folks. When we say we're too busy, when we say we don't have time, those are excuses that work on our flawed consciences, but they are not true. May we see in this passage their answer, well, if we say it's from God, then this will happen, so we won't say that. If we say it's from man, then this will happen, so we won't say that. Here's what we'll do. We'll just say we cannot tell. You ever ask a kid, why'd you do something? And they say, I don't know. I don't know is the easy way of saying, I just don't want to deal with it. Let's get it over with. No, you do know. But I'm going to say, I don't know, because that'll probably end this awkward moment. No, you do know. See, we cannot tell was one of those weak answers. Church, listen to me. Life is too short. Hell is too sure for you to not be serious about your response to God. Are you still saying things like that? It's got a lot going on. I don't really want to deal with it. I don't like to read. 
Jesus asks them this question. What about John's baptism? They come back with, we do not know. Jesus answered them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is the authority. They knew that he was the authority. They were hoping that Jesus would say, God's the authority, and you see me, you see God, which he said before. They were hoping he would say that because, listen, if he said that, then they would say, that's it, that's enough, arrest him, let's go kill him. And it was going to get to that, and it eventually will get to that. But not here. Jesus wasn't playing games with these guys. These people needed to know the authority of God And Jesus wasn't going to let them try to get into some little debate to where they could try to dismiss the authority of God. I know that these days, there's a lot of doubting and questioning if God's word is true and if he really is the authority. A couple weeks ago, Val and I went to a store, I won't tell you which one, and we couldn't find what we were looking for, so we were looking for some help, and it dawned on us we couldn't find anybody. I don't know if they were in the back. They weren't up front. They weren't at the cash register. We had, we had locked, looked around, and we kind of knocked on the desk, and we were trying to check out, and I found myself going, what's going on in here? Who's running this place? I started thinking to myself, I could take whatever I wanted right now and run out, and there's nobody in here. I don't know where they were. I don't know if they had quit and not told their boss, and so literally there was nobody there. I don't know if they were in the back or they were in the bathroom. I don't know, out back smoking. I don't know what was going on. But we were in a store and saw zero employees. And as we got out, I said to myself, that's a bad formula. I don't think that's going to work. Business can't be booming. We weren't even able to check out. We had two options, leave without anything or steal it. There were no other options. There was nobody we could pay. You know what? I think spiritually that's some of us. We don't have an authority over us. We've believed the lie that our maturity and responsibility and our manhood and womanhood is enough to make us successful at life, and it's not. Jesus is the authority. And I want to ask you here today, have you bowed down to him? Does his word rule your heart? Does his word rule your home? Does he give the marching orders and you say, yes, sir? This morning we were getting ready to come to Sunday school and Eli got some new shoes recently and he's so dead set on trying to wear them to church. I let him wear them last week and I told him he couldn't this week. He needed to wear his other shoes. And he went on and on with, no, they're not comfortable. No, they don't fit. I reached down there, felt the toe. They fit. He said, I don't don't wear these. They're not comfortable. He said, no, I don't want to wear these. I said, Eli, you're going to wear those. I said, Eli, look at me. Your dad said to wear those shoes. That means you wear those shoes. You know what he said? He said, all right, yes, sir. And that made me proud. Now, he pushed back for a while, but that made me proud, especially because I'm thinking about this. Y'all, God is God. He's the boss. He's our maker. 
and he loves us more than anybody. Bow down to him. Trust him. He is the authority. And may you not let your pride or your preferences or your sinfulness push against his authority. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a lesson on authority. God, thank you for helping us look at the authority of Jesus and evaluating is that us. And God, may we not come to him questioning whether we're going to believe it. Father, we pray that you would reign in our hearts and as we need you, that we would bow down to Jesus. God, thank you that Jesus died for our sins and he is a savior. In his name we pray, amen. If you're here